Jeremy Hardy speaks to the nation. A season of programs in which Professor Brian Cox plays no part. This week, guest presenter Jeremy Hardy explores the murky world of women folk in tonight's program, How to Be a Woman in the 21st Century. Expect polite language from the start. Thank you, and thank you, Peter Donaldson. And joining me tonight to illustrate this audio manuscript by means of creative role-play are actor and big Scotsman Gordon Kennedy. Hello. And lady actoress, lady writeress, and lady comedianess, Sarah Pascoe. Hello. Now, Sarah, you're a newcomer to the programme, but you're certainly no stranger than anyone else who's been on it. <laughs> Now, as well as performing, you're busy writing at the moment. Yes, sorry, I've just got to get this off. It's quite important. Oh, sorry. No, 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 it's fine. Just let me just and send. There we go. What were you saying? I was talking about your varied CV. You see, Gordon, varied. Yes, all right. At least some telly's better than no telly, Jeremy. Yeah, well, say that when you've done a Lewis. It's only a matter of time. Good boy. Now, Sarah, you're an actor as well, so speaking with both your acting and being a woman hats on, do you find it hard to find female parts? No, telly's full of them. True enough. <laughs> I don't really like either of these hats. I don't suppose you kept the receipt. Yeah, there's a gift receipt in the Evans bag. Sorry. No, it's fine. It's, it's fine. On with the programme. How to be a woman in the 21st century. We talk about various roles that we play in life. One is our professional role. Another, of course, is our gender role. In our next programme, we'll be talking about how to be a man. And, of course, when people say be a man, they mean act like a man, play out a pre-scripted idea of masculinity based on dominance and authority. But people don't say be a woman when they mean put some thought into something or do some backing vocals. <laughs> So how do you be a woman? Well, the obvious way is to put on a frock and a funny voice, which is what actors mean when they talk about acting. <laughs> Historically, male actors have often played women. In Shakespeare's time, males acted all the female roles, and Shakespeare plays around with that convention in Twelfth Night and As You Like It because he's got male actors playing females who are playing males who make females played by males fall in love with them. So you've got these multiple layers of ambiguity about gender, which was probably quite edgy in those days. I mean, it's not some like it hot, but to be fair to Shakespeare, he was pretty useless at comedy. <laughs> actors tried to spice it up by grabbing their genitals to point up the doublon tundras, but it's very thin stuff and only funny if you're on a school trip and you've never seen an adult touch themselves, which hopefully you haven't. <laughs> but in terms of sexuality and gender, they're quite radical plays. Taming of the Shrew, not so much. Kate isn't the most positive representation of a woman's role in a relationship, but bear in mind it was written 400 years ago, and more importantly, Shakespeare was from the West Midlands. <laughs> she is a bloody nightmare, that one. She wants putting in her place. Modern progressive men from the south of England don't think like that. We don't. We just think, oh, well, what can you do? <laughs> I do wonder if Shakespeare's wife Anne was upset by the play. I hope you don't think I'm like that, William. Of course not. You're not from Verona. You know what they're like, the eye ties, hot-blooded. You're just a simple home-loving Warwickshire less. Oh, William, am I the dark lady? Er, uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Who are you texting? No, but he just uh, deleting old messages. <laughs> Women in Shakespeare's plays are always important roles, often driving the whole plot. They make things happen, often bad things. One thinks of Lady Macbeth, the ultimate Jacobean villainess, suppressing her own womanly compassion and nagging her big, dumb, lovable husband till he's killed half of Scotland so she can have a new kitchen. <laughs> But most of Shakespeare's women are not the main character. In movies today, it's more common for a woman to be playing the title role, like the Queen or Margaret Thatcher, who are both real-life people, unbelievably, or, or a literary heroine such as Tess of the Doobie Brothers, or, or Anne of Green Gables, by far the most skittish of Henry VIII's seven wives, and one from whom he had an amicable separation followed by a lasting friendship. <laughs> As you can tell, I know as much about the 16th century as David Stark, he knows about this one. <laughs> it's still quite common for men to play women, usually for comic effect, and there are also female impersonators and drag queens. But the point about these men is that everyone knows they're not really women. That's what makes it entertaining. Otherwise, audiences would just think... What's so great about an overly made-up tall lady miming to Belinda Carlyle songs? Rather than... That's great! A man in a dress miming to Belinda Carlisle songs. <laughs> but I'm not being entirely dismissive of drag, because I was a big fan of Divine, who was brilliant as Edna Turnblad in the original version of Hairspray. John Travolta was quite good in the remake, and I think was perhaps trying to tell us something. Because it might be you feel unable to express part of who you are in your everyday persona, but you're able to do it by cross-dressing, by which I mean transvestism rather than putting your clothes on tetchily. <laughs> Dang these pesky buttons! Where are you? Come here, you little bastards! <laughs> there was a drama as part of that TV series, The Accused, in which Sean Bean gave rather a beautiful performance as a transvestite. Now, some people are bound to say it was unrepresentative and transvestites aren't really like that, to which the author can legitimately say, well, this one is, I made him up and that's what he's like, and that's fair enough. I mean, people don't go and see Hamlet and say... That is so unrepresentative. Danish people are nothing like that. <laughs> Most Danes are incredibly decisive in matters of retribution and family honour. I don't know any Danes like Hamlet. Probably don't know any Danes. I only know one, and she's a lesbian, and therefore not completely representative. <laughs> I did meet one other Danish person, and she was black, which I'm guessing is even less representative. I haven't been there, but I imagine Danes are some of the whitest people on Earth. <laughs> Certainly if you see Sandy dance, that would tend to support me. <laughs> now, Gordon, have you ever been asked to drag up for a role? Uh, no, I, I, and I'm not against it, but it would have to be one of those guys who stand out, you know, like Sean Bean's character. You know, I'm a rugby player, I'm over six foot, and I've got a beard. <laughs> Sarah, any advice for men who'd like to experiment with cross-dressing but feel they're an awkward physical type? Burka? Yeah, good idea. <laughs> yep, good. Save yourself a whole world of trouble. <laughs> Anywho... <laughs> Some people are not only transvestite, but transgender. Now, before deciding that that's a ridiculous proposition and that no such human condition exists, I urge you to consider quite how ridiculous it is to be a human at all. We're all basically apes with broadband, so don't start <laughs> judging people whose lives are more complicated than yours. A minority of transgender people are born
born with ambiguous genitalia, which must be very distressing, or a lot of fun, depending on how philosophical you are. <laughs> but most are people clearly born male or female, but who find they're unable to identify with that gender. I think quite a lot of people find the antics of their own sex quite alienating. I would urge any man considering gender reassignment to bear in mind that there are other men who've tried going to football matches but had to run straight home and read some Sylvia Plath. <laughs> in fact, I once spent an evening at Wimbledon Dog Track and would quite happily have resigned not only from my gender but also from my race. <laughs> But there must be more than this level of alienation involved when people decide to undergo surgery. Many people in Thailand, for example, say they were trapped in a man's body, having been convinced it was a woman when they left the nightclub. <laughs> but are ladyboys men or are they women? In Thailand, ladyboys, or katui, represent a third gender, apparently female, legally male, and accepted as neither, but playing a useful role in humiliating sex tourists. <laughs> because, to my mind, if someone's prepared to use another human being's body as an item to be bought and sold, they forfeit all consumer rights. It's buyer beware in those circumstances. But then you have to suspect that a man who winds up in bed with a transsexual in a country so famous for them is, subconsciously at least, wanting to. That doesn't mean he's gay. More likely, he just doesn't like women. A lot of men fancy women but don't actually like them. Their ideal woman would be one who's been hollowed out and stuffed with a man. But <laughs> now I am sounding like a serial killer and, of course, Katui don't just look female, they feel female. Emotionally, I mean. I, I have no inside knowledge. Let's, let's move on. <laughs> Males who become like females in clothing and increasingly by medical treatment exist in large numbers all over Asia and have done for centuries. Some people think of Eastern cultures as being backward, but Norfolk has made a lot of progress in recent years. <laughs> and fewer people are now born with the feet of aquatic birds. <laughs> I digress. Throughout history, some trans people have been convincing enough in their adopted gender that people accepted it and treated them accordingly. Women sometimes cross-dressed partly or wholly... Uh, sorry, is partly or wholly an attempt at a smutty joke, Jeremy? No, but I did think about it. <laughs> Just checking. Partly or wholly to have opportunities not open to them as women. There are historical cases of doctors, musicians, even pirates. Women posed as men in order to serve as soldiers, often receiving high praise for their valour. One famous example was Frances Clayton. She enlisted as Jack Williams in the American Civil War in order to fight alongside her husband, Elmer. And it's reported that when Elmer was killed at the Battle of Stones River, Frances, without pausing, stepped over his body and bravely continued to fight. Which I think says more about marriage than it does about women's courage. <laughs> Do you have to lie there, right where I'm fighting? I'm trying to wage war here. No, I wish I had time to fall down dead, but some of us have got bayonetting to do. What is less well known is at the start of the war, Elmer and Francis were in the middle of an argument, which she was able to put on hold and continue at his graveside when the war was over. 
Some of these women lived as men for years and were only discovered in hospital. The jazz musician Billy Tipton, born Dorothy, was found out on his deathbed. And who's to say he was not a man? If all the world believes you are something and you maintain that role all your life, does the fact that you weren't born that thing mean much? It might be that at post-mortem it is discovered that Michael Gove is actually human. <laughs> but until then, to all intents and purposes, he's one of the mutant fish people. <laughs> How we are treated from birth onwards is very much dependent on our gender or what people think is our gender. The way we're treated shapes our behaviour and our behaviour affects our physique and even the way our brains work. Men and women have different but complementary skills. Men have much less understanding, but women compensate for this by being impossible to understand anyway. <laughs> However, the brain changes according to how it is stimulated, and adults behave completely differently towards boys and girls. We use gender-specific baby talk. We give them different toys. Girls are given my weird pink horse with its huge array of plastic hair care equipment to style its nylon mane. Whereas boys get the Captain Vengeance ninja attack helicopter with detachable hooded prisoner. Without meaning to, we're still raising boys to be dominant and girls to be subordinate. Society is still preparing girls for a time when women had no aspiration to independence. If you were poor, you faced a life of drudgery, and if you were well-to-do, it was hoped that you would marry a much older man, learn three notes on the piano and die in childbirth. <laughs> in fact, that melodramatic spirit lives on in today's teenage girls. Oh, mercy! I have lost a nail! I shall not last the night! <laughs> After the period of witch trials crushed independent womanhood, women who attained status independently were exceptional and stood out as strong women. And because of the odds women have faced, people often admire a strong or successful woman, regardless of any other aspects of her personality. The thing that unites such 20th century female icons as Wallace Simpson, Coco Chanel and Lenny Riefenstahl is that they hold a fascination for people who like to protect they weren't Nazis. <laughs> In the case of Riefenstahl, one can argue that she was a talented filmmaker who achieved much in a male-dominated society. But if the male dominating your society is Adolf Hitler and you're pals with him, and one of the things you're best at is propaganda films, that old glass ceiling shouldn't be too much of a problem. <laughs> the Nazis were keen on breaking glass, after all. And if they'd won the war, she'd never have had to say she wasn't one anymore. If Hitler had conquered Europe, I doubt she'd have said, All right, Adolf, you've got what you wanted. Now it's time for a few home truths. <laughs> just did Nico from the Velvet Underground. <laughs> Coco Chanel was also talented, and she didn't actually make little black uniforms for the SS, unlike Hugo Boss, who was an active Nazi even before they reached power, so at least can't be accused of jumping on the bandwagon. <laughs> Wallace Simpson didn't contribute anything to the world other than causing an abdication that spared Britain the embarrassment of having a Nazi king. <laughs> Although, if he hadn't stood down, I think the fact that when war broke out, a reigning monarch would have had to be interned might have set a useful precedent. <laughs> 
Nonetheless, despite the fact that Simpson didn't do much, her life has been dramatised many times, most recently by Madonna in her film W.E. If you haven't seen it, try to imagine Martin Scorsese in a conical bra, <laughs> then think of Madonna directing a film. <laughs> Doubtless some people will think I'm being misogynistic, because as I say, when a woman achieves fame, she is seized upon by some as a role model, but abused by others for being uppity, and she'll be the subject of comment about her looks. And we can't blame teenage girls for being obsessed with their appearance in a society that is obsessed with appearance. We really haven't progressed that much when it comes to the objectification of women. Women acting in films are generally expected to get their kit off on camera at some point before they're 45. Highly respected women from film and theatre even pose sexily and scantily clad in magazines, sometimes even the broadsheet supplements, whose readers, I presume, are expected to react. My goodness, darling, we should certainly investigate who retails that nighty. Those nipples are on a woman who's done three years with the Royal Shakespeare Company. <laughs> The only progress is that occasionally you'll see the headline Still Sexy at 55, attached to a photo of a woman who's just started to get acting work again. Now she's old enough to play the overbearing and or alcoholic mother or quirky younger grand stroke homeless eccentric. <laughs> you might, if you're a woman, think... I think it's positive that physical beauty is now celebrated in the over 50s. Or you might think... Oh, God, does it never end? Do I have to be cremated before I stop being judged by my cleavage? <laughs> I mean, do you really want the priest at your funeral to be going... Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and I certainly would, wouldn't you, eh, lads? <laughs> or the humanist celebrant to say... And now I'd like us all just to take a moment to think about Teresa and just quietly pleasure ourselves. <laughs> I suppose it would be better than most of the cobblers they come out with. And of course, every woman under 70 who appears on TV is judged in a way no man ever is. And it's got worse. There was a time when women on television were either expected to look glamorous or to be able to do something. Now, women's looks are under scrutiny even if they can do something. Sarah, you're a woman. Thanks. It's OK. Now, you've appeared frequently on television. Are looks always an issue? Yes, um, whether you want them to be or not. For example, if a woman's got a big chest, she can either do the Professor Alice Roberts, what, these old things? Oh, I've never given them much thought. <laughs> thing, or she can be obvious about it. Up front, you might say. Or not. Sorry. <laughs> Guys... And some women definitely exploit their looks on screen, and there's different ways of doing that. Give me an example. OK, well, one is to look at the camera in a way that says, I look like this and you will never have me. Which is, which is what you're doing now. <laughs> oh, sorry, it's because I've been on the tube for an hour. Didn't realise I was still doing it. <laughs> of course. So, so how would you describe Nigella Lawson? Ah, so now she's more... A couple of glasses of anything, and you'd probably be in with a chance. <laughs> and that is mainly a defence mechanism to avoid being hated by men who feel threatened by unattainable women. Right. Um, and then with women, what she's saying to them is kind of, cook like I do, or I'll take your husband. <laughs> oh, look, here's a book that will teach you how to cook like I do. <laughs> I see. 
Nigella was probably the first woman on television to put the sex into cookery. Messy and unhygienic though that can be. <laughs> a generation before, it was Delia Smith who put one pinch of mixed herbs and half a teaspoonful of tomato puree into cookery. <laughs> before Nigella, Britain's relationship with food was one of intense love but was largely platonic. And a woman in the kitchen was fulfilling a stereotypical role, but she was only expected to fill one stereotypical role at a time. This is not to say that gluttony and lust have not always been bracketed together. They are both deadly sins, two of the seven dwarves of the apocalypse. <laughs> One thinks of the famous libidinous pub meal sequence in the film Tom Jones. In reality, of course, it's unwise to pig out on a first date, to bring your IBS into close proximity with someone who hasn't yet come to love you as a person. <laughs> But food has also been used in film as a euphemism for sex. In the old Hollywood Roman epics, the only orgy you could get past a censor was one that consisted largely of a fat man dangling a lot of grapes over his face in a way that suggested abandon. <laughs> and sex and food are similar in that the desire for both is sensual but also emotional. She might writhe around the kitchen to such an extent that one begs to ask... Nigella? Love, is this really about the food, or has your hand whisk got another attachment you're not telling us about? <laughs> but I think it really is all about the food. Sarah, why do women have such an emotional relationship with food? Hard to say, Jeremy. Tell me, and I'll tell you where the hobnobs are. Deal. <laughs> Tesco's bag in the dressing room. Back in a moment. You see, listener, I'm convinced that Nigella genuinely loves food, but not in the lascivious way her performance suggests. It's a neat trick to make comfort eating seem erotic. I only know her slightly, and she's a very nice woman who must have doubts and demons like anyone else. I don't think her looks make her arrogant. No one in whom food stirs such passion could be accused of being self-satisfied. Other people finding you attractive isn't going to fill your soul unless you are completely shallow. And having a large bust can be a curse if you're the sort of person who likes men to make occasional eye contact. <laughs> Sarah, you're back. Yeah. Um, well, the thing is, women are conditioned to see ourselves as providers of food and to think of the giving and receiving of food as being the exchange of love. I see. But why do you kid yourselves that there's no calories in food eaten standing up after ten o'clock at night? <laughs> you mean standing with your head back, mouth open, tilting the fridge towards you? Yeah. There is no calories in that. Well, there are, but treat calories are offset by skipping fruit. <laughs> Treats are a reward. Reward for what? Um, for handing a fugitive over to the sheriff. That's how the bounty bar got its name. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, yeah, this is back before, you know, before money was invented. Mm -hmm. They paid women in chocolate. Um, it says so on some of those old Wild West wanted posters, hence the Milky Bar Kid. Yeah. Yep. He never actually caught anyone. He just gave out chocolate to women to get them to do it for him. Wow. How typical of Tarantino to paint out of history all those women who hunted down dangerous outlaws and brought them to justice. Yeah, it's terrible. Where are the Pringles? Morrison's bag. Oh, yum, yum. <laughs> but let's return to the subject of women and work. So far, we've spoken about the lack of opportunities for women in the past. But what about today? We often hear that a woman should be a saint in the kitchen and a whore in the boardroom. <laughs> Bedroom. What? Whore in the bedroom. That's what they say. I mean, it doesn't really make any sense because we'd have to pay, but that is what they say. 
weird. Well, what do they say about women in the boardroom? There aren't enough. Enough for what? I don't know. Tokenism, I suppose. Oh, OK. <laughs> it's often said that there aren't enough women in the boardroom. In reality, there are thousands of women in boardrooms. It's just that they're the women who have to clean boardrooms at 4.30 in the morning and then be home in time to get their kids off to school before going to their other job while hoping their asylum claim isn't turned down because they haven't got enough documents to prove they were sufficiently tortured to satisfy a civil servant in Croydon. <laughs> So actually, I don't have that much compassion left for female executives who find it takes slightly longer to climb up the corporate ladder. Whether things would be run better with more women in charge is another matter. I suspect they would. Certainly more smoothly. Women are more organised and more socially skilled. Traditionally, femininity has meant an assisting role and masculinity a leadership role. But men are just better at bullshit. We like to be in charge, but don't necessarily know what to do when we are. And we're awkward. Contrast, Tony Blair and Gordon Brown. The latter clearly more stereotypically macho than the former, and yet desperately uncomfortable with power once he got it. Now, Blair is not actually a woman. Thank you for emphasising that, Jeremy. That's OK. <laughs> but is, I think, slightly effeminate, and so's Cameron, actually. And like Blair, he multitasks furiously, his life a heady social world, able to juggle constant invitations to take part in wars and get us involved in more than one war at a time, the army trying to deal with them all like a hen-pecked husband, ordered to sort out the broadband while he's still tipping the juice out of the bottom of the wheelie bin. <laughs> Then again, an obsession with warfare is puerile rather than feminine. A common feature of politicians who are mad keen to take us to war is that they've never fought in one themselves, but all their toys did while they were failing to grow up. <laughs> so Blair and Cameron are actually nothing like women. No woman would say, let's just concentrate on getting to Iraq and then worry about our itinerary, shall we? <laughs> And just quickly, because I need to wrap things up now, because I'm a man and I have no time management skills, I don't think women should aspire to do everything men do. We do have women soldiers now, and some people want to see them in the front line alongside their male contemporaries. I'd rather see their male contemporaries desert and take up contemporary dance. <laughs> I don't want to see females matching male offenders in the figures for violent crime. And we all love the boxer Nikki Adams, because she doesn't yet look or speak like someone who's been beaten around the head for years, but I don't really want to see women boxing because I don't want that to happen to her and because I don't think you should punch anyone unless you have to, Nicky Campbell accepted. <laughs> I don't even want to see women on the floor of the stock exchange unless they're going to dance around their handbags until capitalism collapses. <laughs> what I'd like is for men to stop being such dicks. It should have an army and it should just be Prince Harry without the forward base in Las Vegas. <laughs> now, Sarah, thank you, and may I say how lovely you look this evening in a non-demeaning way. Yep, thanks. Now, have you got any plain Pringles? I think sea salt and roadkill flavour are a man-y thing. Well, there's roebush and lavender flavour in the Waitrose bag. Oh, top man. No, the top man bag's got jeans in that I'm not nearly skinny enough for. <laughs> Gordon, thank you, and don't put yourself down. You'd look all right in a dress. Oh, cheers, pal. I appreciate that. I've got a kilt, after all. Is it true what they say? I don't risk it, personally. Uh, a kilt only comes down to your knees. Could be embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I, I imagine it, it could. They'll fit me, these jeans. All right, have them. And audience, 
Be yourselves. Good night. Jeremy Hardy Speaks to the Nation was manfully constructed by Jeremy Hardy and decorated by Gordon Kennedy and Sarah Pascoe. The Wicked Witch was David Tyler and the programme is a positive production for the BBC. 